We are here to share our stories, experiences, and give a platform for others to talk about the no-nos. We are not medical or healthcare professionals. Anything you heard here is just based from our human experience, and should you have any medical or mental health challenges, we encourage you to seek professional support. Our content isn't suitable for children, and please be aware it may be triggering. Okay, so we are Chelsea and Catherine, and we are talking about the no-nos. So today's episode topic is going to be, we're actually going to be talking about Catherine's survivor story. And to start off the story, we're going to start with a quote bomb from Jackie Hill Perry. And the quote is, what if God used me, didn't make you powerful or mighty, but weak and vulnerable? What if your usefulness grew from your willingness to not be as strong as you like so that God's strength can shine through you? And so before we get into this topic, we think it's just kind of important to share um, some statistics just to give people an idea about the scope of some of this and just to really set like a mindset as we're looking at this story and as like you're thinking about other people in your life and experiences So one in four women and one in six men are or will be victims of sexual assault. One in five children will be sexually assaulted before they are 18. Most of them know their attacker. 34% are family members. 59% are acquaintances. 7% are strangers. 40% are older or more powerful children. And false reports are rare, ranging from 2 to 10%. And then I'm going to just kind of read the definition of what sexual assault is, and then I'll get into my story. So sexual assault is an overarching term encompassing a large number of sexual behaviors, physical, verbal, and psychological, that violate the agency and well-being of an individual. Sexual assault is the current legal term that replaces that narrow definition of rape. The exact definition of rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse, and sexual terms varies from state to state. So I just kind of wanted to ask you then, just off the bat, kind of before we get into your story, which we will in just a second, is why you feel that definition is important. I feel like it's important because many people kind of um, rate how bad they think it is Mm. on if it was penetration or not penetration, or they... Yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And sexual assault is just anything. It can be verbal. Mm -hmm. It can be um, something that someone's making you watch, like pornography. Mm -hmm. It can be many things. And all of those things are an assault, Mm -hmm. right? And so I just think understanding that better helps people um, know, number one, know what to look out for. Mm -hmm how to help someone and how to just be a better friend to someone that's yeah. a survivor and not and let and know understand that hey anytime somebody's been violated in any of those ways it's trauma right right and one of the hardest things as as a survivor is for some weird reason people really need to know the details mm. to almost think like well it wasn't that bad cuz you didn't it wasn't penetration mm-hmm. or or it wasn't that bad because you know whatever fill in the blank right well you're older or whatever i, right. I know there's there's all these things and so i think stuff. a clear definition of what it is helps people understand like oh oh okay so this person was shown pornography by an adult at a young age, that's sexual assault. And it's traumatizing. And that's traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And they have this huge hurdle to ha- to get through in life mm-hmm. now. Or, you know, just 
just that. Yeah. And I know, um, especially the word rape often gets put in like a separate category when really mm. it's all together, right? right? All of it's, none of it's good, <laughs> right? Yeah. All of no, it's traumatizing. I'm, I'm glad you shared kind of your why for why you think that's important because I think it's really important. And I feel like one of the reasons why I think that's important too is it, it seems like I've, I've just met people sometimes that aren't always sure if they should be feeling like they're in trauma, even though yes. they are, they're experiencing it, but they don't know what to do with it because they don't think what's happened to them was, was assault. assault. Oh and my so gosh. they're experiencing this trauma and then not understanding at all that they need help for trauma because they don't know that that's what's occurring. I love that you just said that. That is so true, Chelsea. And or a lot of people think, well, it only happened to me one time. It didn't happen to me all the time. Right. Once is too much. Right. And it's just traumatizing. So, yeah. So that's always been really important for me just to get that out there to either validate somebody's mm -hmm. trauma or to just educate people yeah. that like all of it's assault. Right. right. So, yeah. Thanks for doing that. Of course. For setting that kind of that tone and that definition. And then, yeah, if you want to just start, start it off. sharing your story with us. Sure. So. We'll just get right into yeah, the heavy no, stuff. Yeah, there's no easy way to get know, into this. You know, you're there not really like, isn't. there's not like a, so <laughs> I know. it's just go for it. I know. So, so my first abuser was my biological dad and I, he started abusing me. <clears throat> he actually abused me in every way. And one of them also was sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. um, and the abuse started for, at age three and went all the way until age 18 and um, and then I actually had a second abuser mm -hmm. and it was uh, my boyfriend mm -hmm. when I was 19 and um, I was sexually assaulted by him. And that um, um, that I actually only began to tell people about. Man, maybe a year ago. Right. Maybe I told for the first time on that one three years ago right something I don't know the exact dates but that one for whatever reason I kept hidden uh, the one with my biological dad I actually told when I was six years old I told my mom mm -hmm. um, it was in the middle of their divorce right and so and just to give a little clarity before we get too far from this point because I know you did want to give clarity to this part of the story is oh, that yes. your biological father because we're sisters and a lot of people know that is yeah. not my dad correct so different person. And I just remember you wanted to make sure that that was clear. So people weren't confused about that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is my biological dad, not my stepdad. That's Chelsea's biological dad. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. So well. I just didn't want you to be like, oh, no, I, I forgot, <laughs> forgot to make that clear. So now we're going back to you right. did tell. Right. And you told when your parents were in the middle of a divorce when you were six. Yeah. I told when I was I think I had just turned six years old. I told for the first time, I told my mom, and she um, responded, honestly, great. She believed me right away. She did all of the things that mm -hmm. you're supposed to do. She <clears throat> uh, called the police, called CPS, took me to the doctor, um, and at the hearing for the custody, mm -hmm. and it was just decided at the time that um, it wasn't able to be proved. Right. Right. And so our court system works that you need to have proof. Right. And many, many uh, children that are abused, there isn't proof. Right. And so um, at the time, it was the 80s where judges and there's lots of women that were kind of claiming this to get back at their husbands. During divorces. During divorces. Mm -hmm. And so for whatever reasons or whatever, the judge basically said that, um, how do I know that 
you're not making her believe this to get back at your husband because my dad cheat was you know cheated on my mom right left us for a younger woman Mm -hmm. and that whole kind of thing and so unfortunately even though my mom did everything right i still had to legally see my dad right um until i was 18 yeah yeah so what what was that like for you so maybe as like a child and not getting that justice from the court system, knowing your mom was fighting for it, but then also like having to keep continuing to go see him during like for the, what was agreed for the custody? It was, um, it was, I really was in survival mode. Mm -hmm. Right. I wasn't, I remember being a really happy kid. Uh Like always, I was always like the class clown, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But at my dad's, I just was, enraged with anger right um and i really just was in yeah i was just in survival mode um and i continued to tell because i really didn't want to be i didn't want to see him right right and so i continued to tell and continued to tell and um nothing really ever came of it unfortunately yeah well no justice i mean your mom still continued to like try to help with that you know that's i just want people to know that that it's not just like falling on like deaf ears right no no no. it's like oh but that it's just the justice system never brought that justice about right and my mom put me in counseling literally the next day right that i told so i was in counseling and i did all those things i was doing all of those things too but just to answer the question of like how how was that having to go there is like yeah you're, I was desperate. I remember being a kid and just desperately wanting to not have to go there anymore. Right. And so I was telling whoever I could, like I would. T- anytime you tell your counselor about abuse, they have to report it to CPS. Right. So, I mean, CPS got called to my dad so many times, like it's countless times. Yeah. So, so you had mentioned that you told, and you told at a pretty young age. Um, what What's the common age for for people to usually? I think about it. it. So I know that more it's I think it's 60 percent of of child abuse survivors Mm -hmm. never tell. Wow. Like ever in their life. That's so much to carry through your life. Yeah. Isn't that insane? So sad. And um, the common age is like mid 30s. Okay, When people usually tell. That's more the common age. So I definitely told um, I, I was kind of a rare case that mm-hmm. told yeah. at a younger age. And so, um, yeah, and f- this kind of abuse is such a silencer and there's so much shame that goes into it. And, and there's like fear and fear. And especially when you're a child and especially for me, it was my biological dad. And so you're like, there's so many layers that go into right. it. And so yeah. I, I understand, I honestly understand why people don't tell. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I was a teller and I don't know. If that's just the way that God made me or right. I know that um, I just desperately wanted to get out of it. And so I just kept telling. Yeah. Right. Now, how did your mom's response when you told her affect you? My mom's response? Mm-hmm. I think my mom's response was everything to like my healing and like my ability to be able to like heal from it. I was believed. Um, I was like assured that it wasn't my fault Mm -hmm. um i I personally don't ever remember feeling like it was my fault i don't really feel like i personally had that struggle Mm -hmm. i definitely struggled with feeling like i was bad and ruined and like but feeling like no i i always knew that it my dad was wrong 
right. that I wasn't. And I think that that had a lot to do with having a mom that told me that right away mm-hmm. and supported me. And even though we didn't get the justice that we would have liked, I saw my mom doing everything that she could. Mm-hmm. So that made me feel um, valued. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned that you had a second assault when you were older, um, but that you didn't start talking about that until a lot more recently. Right. Um, Why do you think that you kept that one silent for longer? So I think I kept that silent because I do. I I mean, I remember the 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 first attack. I remember being like, I can't believe I let this happen to me again. Mm. That one I kind of had more self-blame, to be honest. Mm hmm. I don't know if it had to do with that I was 19 and that I thought, I don't know, or that I just knew so much. I have no idea what it was, but I remember feeling like, oh, my gosh, I can't even believe that I let that happen again. And I really remember being like, I'm just going to pretend like that didn't happen. Mm. Right. I remember just feeling like I don't even want to deal with another layer of trauma in this area of my life. And I kept dating him. I mean, we dated for like another two years after that. Right. And so... I don't know. I think a lot of that too, just like, why would you keep dating him? Or I don't know. It. I honestly don't know. I feel like that story is still like something that I'm processing mm. a lot. But um, I know that it was, yeah, self-blame. I had issues with that and just not wanting to be the girl that was, you know, of, you know, that her dad abused and then also her boy's boyfriend raped. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. It was like, you I didn't just, want that to be your I was story. so over that being mm-hmm. like my identity. Right. Right. And so I feel like, uh, that was enough. So when do you feel like that started to shift from you? That idea of identity. When that shifted for me? Yeah. It shifted for me when I was, 30 years old. I was, I'm 39 now. So yeah, like nine years ago, I, uh, I just started like maybe the year before that, maybe when I was 29, I remember just having a year of just like, man, I really have to like deal with this. Mm. I've been dealing with it my whole life. I did counseling and stuff, but I remember it was just like, man, I still have, I have a lot of bitterness. I have a lot of anger and just hate Mm -hmm. in my heart. And I, it was just kind of taking over my life. Mm. And I remember just just really having a lot of conversations with God. And um, I remember that year that I decided to work on it, I literally cried every single day. I cried oh. myself to sleep every single night. Dealing with that kind of trauma is a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I just feel like God was like super like gracious and kind to me and just kind of like gently like led me through that year right and there was a moment kind of like the 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 big defining moment where I just felt like God told me to write a letter of to my dad Mm -hmm. and so I read I wrote him this letter and in that moment I just felt like the Holy Spirit literally if I didn't believe in miracles I believe in them now Mm -hmm. just literally changed my heart towards my dad wow and just showed me that that wasn't okay that what he did to me wasn't right. okay. But I it was a moment where he just showed me like, hey, your dad's a sinner and I love him. And you're a sinner and I love you too. And I got it, right? That mm-hmm. not okaying it. I didn't ever feel like, like God was like, right. I, you know, I never felt like it's okay, you know, whatever. 
But I just felt like in the first time in my life, I truly understand. I understood grace. Mm. We're like, whoa, God, you're right. I've had like just this hatred and anger and bitter, bitter, bitterness. And like, I really was in this victim mentality mm. where like, I almost felt like God owed me. Like you owe me the perfect husband. You owe me easy mm. stuff because I had to go through that. And God really revealed to me like my sin and all of that. And it was a beautiful moment. And I felt released from that anger. I felt forgiveness for my, for my dad that literally was only through the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. miracle. And I felt free of it. Yeah. Right. And so that was a humongous defining moment. But most importantly, I just felt loved by God. I just felt like you love me so much, God, like you died on the cross for me and rose again for my sins. And not only that, you're going to free me from this like enslaved right, this bondage bondage mm -hmm. that I feel. Right. And so I just felt like overwhelmingly loved by God. Mm. And it was that moment that kind of changed everything wow. where I was able to like start telling my story and have like real heart feeling. And really it was, it was honestly a proper understanding of grace mm. in my heart. Right. I kind of always struggled with, I believe, you know, that God has grace for everyone, mm -hmm. but it was harder for me to believe that he had it for me. Right. Personally, it's harder to experience it sometimes. It was harder to experience it. And like in that moment, of that. I experienced it. I experienced mm. that I was unworthy of God's forgiveness, but he loved, gave it to me anyways. Right. right. And yeah. So when you wrote that letter, is that a letter that you wrote with the intention of sharing with your dad or more just for yourself? Uh, no, I just wrote it like for myself. Yeah. I just gave it to my dad, though. Yeah. I oh, did. did you? Okay. Did. See, I didn't know that part of the story if you actually gave yeah. it to him or not. I because wrote I, it. I know, you know, I know your story and I know that it's still, it's not something that he owns up to to this day. And so he's right. not like a right. safe person for you to have a relationship with. Right. So I was just curious. I wrote this letter. I emailed it. I, I wrote it on the computer. And then um, I felt. I really did feel, I really do feel forgiveness towards my dad. I don't mm -hmm. think that it's okay that anything that he did or has continued to do. Right. But I really felt like that gift was for me. That forgiveness yeah. was a gift for me. It was freedom. It was freedom. And so um, I felt so loved and freed by God that I was like, I'm just going to give my dad this letter. Hmm. So I emailed it to him and um, he just, he called, I think I emailed it to him and he got, maybe got called the next day. And uh, he just said, thank you for the letter. And that's it. Like yeah. he didn't really. Yeah. It was you know. more of just wondering. I know for some people, sometimes just writing those things, even if they're not going to be able to give it to that yeah. person, but just writing that stuff out can be so. Oh, helpful. yeah. Yeah. So. And to be honest, I, I, I don't regret that he, I gave it to him at all. I, I'm glad I gave it to him because yeah. um, I feel like he needs Jesus. Yeah. But if someone <laughs> didn't feel strong enough to in where they're at to right. write a letter like that and give it to right. the abuser would you still say that it's helpful to still oh, write a million those percent a million and just percent. for themselves and for and for many people giving it to the person is not a good idea right and could be harmful and yeah. like all those things uh, for me it felt like the right thing to do and, and to this day it still felt like the right thing to do um and it was true for me yeah but yeah no writing your story um is super freeing and helpful and like understanding just even like where you're at in your emotions. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's just a, so you kind of talked about where God was for you in this moment of this healing, 
Where do you feel like God was in your abuse, like while the abuse was happening? So that's really is my testimony. I talk about God a yeah. ton because it's just the truth. Right. And this like it's, is my story. It's your life. It's yeah. my life. Um, so literally the first, the literal first um, ab- abuse incident, uh, I felt God's presence. I was three years old. I didn't even know who God was. Right. I didn't even mm-hmm. understand that. Right. But in that moment. I had a supernatural experience where I felt complete peace mm-hmm. and I felt God's, this being's protection over me. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, as soon as I heard about God and Jesus, I was like, yep, I know that I know him. Um, it was just never, I've never had an issue with like having to believe cause mm-hmm. I experienced like God was literally with me, protecting me right. in the worst time in my life. Right? right. And that kind of is my story with even when I had to go to my dad's, Right. Mm -hmm. After I told God never was not with me. God literally was my safe person. Mm. And I felt that way my entire life that, you know, God was always with me. I never felt alone. And so, man, that I just never have struggled with knowing that God loves me and like was there for me in the hard things. And yeah. So do you have maybe any words for maybe people that are in that? trauma and that abuse that feel like God is far from them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like that's, that's so common. Yeah. I, yeah, I do. I've talked about that uh, some on my blog too, because I totally get that. Uh, yeah, I get that. I understand that a million percent. Um, everybody's experience is is different. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and I know for me personally that, I didn't personally struggle with the God part of it, but I mm-hmm. really, really struggled with the church part of it and God's right. people. Right. Um, I actually told, and the last time I told before I was like silenced from it. Cause I was like, I keep telling it, nothing happens. Uh-huh. I was in sixth grade and I actually told um, my uncle who's a pastor uh-huh. at a church camp and he didn't do anything about it. And then I basically was told by some other family member to just forgive my dad. Right. And nobody helped me. Right. But and like the forgiveness of just like, yeah, move on. Yeah. Get like, oh, more of like, get over it than yeah. forgive. Cause well, they're very different. Well, I mean, and I was being abused in that right. moment. And so it was like, no, I just needed help. Right. And like, I didn't need to be, it was more like, no, we just want to push this. We don't want this like to taint our family. Right. Give anybody a bad name. We're pastors. We're this church family, whatever. Right. And so, that personally church church number one but specifically pastors are like a trigger for me Mm -hmm. because that incident was literally a really traumatizing incident for me it was traumatizing in your trauma it was traumatizing in my trauma that for in my head god was always the safe person for me that was there for me when no one wasn't when no one else was and was in it with me like wasn't just like there for me afterwards like god was like protecting me in it and Mm -hmm. I felt it and I felt God's love for me and peace for, you know, the peace of God. And so that has never been an issue for me personally. But so telling a pastor Uh to me was like, Oh, he's like, of course he's going to help me. This is a pastor. Right. And so that I remember that just like blowing my mind when I was like the sixth grader Mm -hmm. that, Oh, these pastors are literally not going to help me. Right. This is crazy. Right. And then just like I had the hardest time trusting pastors, Mm. Um, which I feel like God has definitely redeemed the older I've gotten. 
but um, I still can be a trigger for me. Right. And church can. So when people struggle with the like, I didn't feel God in that. I mm-hmm. didn't. I felt alone or I felt whatever. I get it. Right. I hear you. I understand that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know personally that God loves you. And I, 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 I know that that's another layer that's hard for you to get through Mm -hmm. and other people that are kind of have, I know a lot of people also have my story where, or they were abused in the church. Right. Right. Where you're like, yeah, some people like the least safe place they feel is church. Right. Or with whatever. And that can kind of be my story a little bit too. I can struggle with that and feel have, you know, Mm -hmm. have some issues come up with that. So, um, I don't have, I honestly just, my advice would just be to like, have conversations with God and just be honest. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm mad at you. I didn't feel you there. You know, just all those kind of honor, mm. honest conversations. But um, that that that's not wrong for feeling that way, right? And I, it's understandable. Yeah, <laughs> not judging you. It wasn't my story personally, right? But I get it. Yeah. So you talked about you know therapy being helpful for you and being in therapy throughout kind of the course of your life and you talked about your mom's response being super helpful was there anything else specific or anyone else specifically that really helped with um some of that big healing work yeah i had a a christian counselor who was my mom's really good friend Mm -hmm. um she also was a survivor and she was like my literal safe person um I wrote a whole blog about her if you want to read it, (laughs) but to go in more detail, but she was huge to me because she was a survivor who, um, experienced it also in the family. And that was really important to me Mm -hmm. because I remember when I was younger, I remember feeling like this doesn't help it happen to anybody else in the family. Mm -hmm. And the few other survivor friends that I had that were open about it, it was always like not necessarily strangers but not family members Mm -hmm. and I remember that was a real heavy extra layer of shame for me that Mm -hmm. it was incest right and I even remember the moment I real I found out what incest was and that I was an incest survivor I would could have died on I could have like exploded with shame wow like in the moment it was so humiliating right and so like having this safe person that felt like wow her too and she was helping other survivors Mm -hmm. She was just so beautifully gifted in like having you see how much God loves you in it. Mm-hmm. She was huge, huge. She was one of my number one, like second to my mom mm-hmm. who helped me like get through that. And just seeing that she was able to like have a normal life mm-hmm. and she was this like godly woman that I totally admired and that gave me hope when I didn't feel I felt hopeless in mm-hmm. that moment. And it gave me hope. Hey, she she made it through that. I right. can make it through that. Right. right. And so that was huge. Mm-hmm. And that and that honestly is one of my biggest. That's like almost the the reason why I'm being open with my story. Right. Is so that other survivors can be like, look, she's able to talk about it right. and say these really tough things. And like she's on the other side of that. Right. right? So like there's hope for me. That's yeah. really is my heart in sharing it. Right. Right. It doesn't so, stay feeling like this forever. Right. And that, that yeah, not everyone's going to be a safe person. Right. But there, you can find there your safe, safe people, people and they're yeah. literally just a blessing. Yeah. The biggest blessing. So how do you think we can prevent this abuse? Because I know that's something you talk about. You've talked about, you know, part of your thing with your blog is educating, educating organizations and the church about how to be better about supporting 
survivors, but also about preventing abuse. So what are some ways that you think we can do that? Well, I think specifically with like child abuse is just talking to your kids Mm -hmm. like from birth. Right. Just like talking about it or a a book that I'll probably mention a lot Mm -hmm. in this podcast is called God Made All of Me by Justin Holcomb, Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. And it's just basically a book that you can read to your kids Mm -hmm. where it just helps them understand um, that their body is is good. good, Mm -hmm. Right. And that they're in charge of who. Like they're in charge of it, right? right? And so, like, if they don't want to hug somebody, like, yeah. give them a high Body five. autonomy, yeah. Exactly. All that kind of stuff. And so, um, giving proper names, saying at a young age proper names, right? All those kind of things. This book has all that information. I won't go too crazy into detail about that. Yeah. But just having those conversations with your kids at a young age and letting them know, like, this stuff happens, mm-hmm. right? And and um, that it isn't, there isn't a ton of shame around talking about sex right. or talking about genitals or that mm-hmm. you know these or feelings that they're having or feelings that they're having or yeah. images that they're see- now like with the internet like images that they're seeing right that it just be a, a conversation from the start yeah. and um and that as adults we're really like looking out and s- sticking up for them right, right? so if believing the kids believing them mm-hmm. and we're like if we're seeing something that we're feeling in our gut is like, man, something's off. We're report, we're calling CPS. We're calling the we're doing whatever it takes to protect those kids. We're, we're protecting the kids over protecting adults' egos, right. basically. Um, so those kind of things, and then just having more awareness of uh, in general. I think with like the Me Too movement and the Church Two movement that's going around, I think people are starting to get more educated mm-hmm. on it, and mm-hmm. I think that that is a great start. Right. So people are starting to it's not something that is the no, no thing right. that nobody talks about. So we don't even think about it. And we just assume everybody's great when really statistically we just read off that like, no, yeah, many people are survivors and this is yeah. happening to a many a lot of children. Um, so I think that's great. I think that's a great first step. And um, um, and, and and most importantly, I would say is listening to survivor stories because mm. we're really are the experts right we lived it right, right? Exactly. so if you have a friend or there's someone in your church or wh- whatever c- circumstance you're in um and you're wanting to learn more about it and they're willing to share right they're going to give you some really good insights yeah so what then so you talked about some things that were hurtful um you know not getting justice in the justice system was obviously hurtful right um when you told you know a pastor who was also family them not believing and not helping was and being, hurtful and just basically the way they dealt with it was like just forgive them just, yeah just move on pretend. Stop, ta- stop telling people and just forgive yeah. them yeah just be quiet they silence yeah be just quiet silence yeah um what was there anything else that was particularly hurtful or hindered your healing Yeah, man, that's like a, I know I'm like, I'm like, well, I answer that. (laughs) Um, Specifically, I would say the things that have been hurtful is the way people have responded. Mm -hmm. I would maybe say, Um, I I actually, even though I know on this story, I'm telling you that I told all these people, I only told like the people that could help me. And so right. most you were telling safe people, like I was telling safe pe- counselor and exactly. Like but most people, most people and... in my life didn't know this about me right. at all until way older. Right. right. So I, until I, they read your blog until they read my blog or, you know, right. And so, um, and so when 
I did feel like I was safe to tell um, someone. And a lot of times it would be someone would share with me, Mm -hmm. even if I was younger. And I would share back. And I remember the first time that happened, I was like in fifth grade. And this girl told me that her like cousin abused her or Uh something. And I told her about my abuse. And she literally stopped being my friend. Wow. Like never talked to me again. Wow. And I hate, I would like to say that that doesn't happen all the time, but that is a really common response. Mm -hmm. So kind of just response by people either just like, hearing this about you and not knowing what to do. So they just say nothing Mm -hmm. or they stop being your friend or they can't look you in the eye when you're down the walking down the hall somewhere. They see you. Those are, that's hard because you're already like, you're fighting this, like you're already fighting the shame of it and the embarrassment of it and the not wanting it to be your identity and like define your whole life. And when someone responds to you in a way that like is, negative towards those negative thoughts that you're already having you're like awesome you're making me feel like i i already feel hopeless and you're basically telling me that i should be hopeless it's like confirming all the things that you've probably been telling yourself that are negative and lies to begin with yeah and then just there's certain um we'll get into this with some other podcasts too but yeah we got a whole series we have a whole series on this guys uh but just like telling people and to help Mm -hmm. prevent it maybe and not being believed or not having them do anything about Mm -hmm. it was has been super hurtful but um yeah people's responses yeah so and we will in a few more episodes we do go into some stuff where where Catherine will share things that are like helpful ways to respond so if you know someone that's experiencing something like this or has opened up to you or when someone does open up to you because like in statistics we're reading about it's not uncommon which is sad mm-hmm. um there's some ways that you can start thinking now of how you would respond or maybe people that you need to go back to and say i'm sorry that i didn't respond well to this like i actually really love that you said that i love that you said that right now because <laughs> i think that all the time right like i think sometimes people when even when i'm telling people like mm-hmm. here's our unhelpful things and here's our helpful things i think people are so nervous about saying the unhelpful thing that they say nothing, nothing. Uh-huh. instead which is really literally one of the worst things you can do right. um and so i love that you just said that because oftentimes i want to be like hey if someone responded to me poorly right and just said like hey i'm so sorry i didn't know i felt like so i didn't know what to right. say and i think that came off wrong i'm so sorry that would be really validating to somebody because right. you're like you're right that did suck the way that you handled that and we it actually most people handle it terrible so right. we, our whole experience of being like vulnerable with it is like awful right and so someone like acknowledging like i didn't know what to do would be like dude thank you so much yeah for being honest and like it's okay i know this is complicated and i don't expect you to know what to do and i feel loved that you cared enough about hurting my feelings that you actually apologized right for yeah it, instead of just like oh now i can't ever talk to this person again <laughs> right because we're right. all human beings and we i don't know how to respond i think i, I do horrible responses i know you've had to apologize about the enneagram so i had to apologize, <laughs> I apologize about i'm i say i respond horribly all of the time uh-huh. right and so just acknowledging like i think i responded terribly to you and really i'm so sorry i i just didn't know what yeah. to do is i think so um, valuable. Yeah, it's a it's a big step to be able to go back and say, mm, yeah, maybe I need to try this one again. And we know survivors know that this is a t- subject that's really hard for people. Right. That can be really triggering for people. That people do, it just turns people into like, you know, into like freak out mode. And so we get it. We get right. that it's hard to hear. We know that, mm-hmm. and it's okay. 
Like right. we don't expect you to be experts on it. And this is why this is important to me. This podcast uh-huh. is to be able to just get more education out there. But we know that. And if right. you if you feel like you responded bad, if you just say like, right. I'm so sorry, I think I responded bad. We'll appreciate that. Yeah. Well, because if you're sharing with this person, there's someone you care about. Right. So for them to come back and say that they care about you, too, like that continues yeah. that relationship in a healthy way. Right. Exactly. So, um, what would you tell a survivor that's listening? I would tell a survivor that's listening that you are not alone mm-hmm. at all, um, that you are believed that you didn't deserve any of this that happened to you, that this doesn't have to define your life, that there is absolute hope for your healing, um, that I would, number one, if you aren't in counseling, that's mm-hmm. from um, someone who is a trauma uh expert right um if that's possible get into that find the people in your life that just support you and love you Mm -hmm. and that um can just go encourage you for a healing right right um and just reach out reach out um and to other survivors and i love on my blog when other survivors uh, message me and just like ask me like advice on like, how did you get through this? Right. How did you Mm -hmm. get through that? Um, Mm -hmm. I love, I love to be able to give that help. So even if, if you feel like you don't have a safe person, like in your circle of people, Uh um, reach out to other survivors that are open and advocates about it. Mm -hmm. Like I would love to just share resources with you that have been helpful for me. And most importantly, just that you are so very loved by right. God. And I understand that if that is a relationship that's hard for you, I, I get that. But I want you to know that the truth is that Jesus really does love you and mm-hmm. want that he's angry that that happened and that he will get justice for that. And, um, and yeah, yeah, you're supported and you're loved and you're not alone. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that and, for sharing your story, you know, to begin with, it, it takes a lot of courage, even after you've shared your story many times now and you've done these blogs. I think that every time it still takes so much courage so, oh, and that it's totally. still so powerful. So I just want to say thank you to you for being vulnerable and being courageous and sharing that. And for anyone who's listening, who's also a survivor, just to know that you are, you're valuable, like you are so important and you are so loved and you are so just worthy worthy of love and um that you're you're brave you're brave for all the things that you've been through and so i just want to say that to anyone who is listening as well even if you haven't shared your story but just because of who you are um and for resources you can go to our instagram which will have like a whole bunch of resources on there always and keep adding stuff but also our show notes will have the resources but i'm just going to name off a few really quick just so if you hear them and then you see them like they stick in your brain better because sometimes we need to hear things a lot so (laughs) um rain like rain that falls from the sky with two ends.org is a great resource d2l.org um, Catherine's blog, victornotvictim.net. She mentioned the book, Rid of My Disgrace by Justin Holcomb. Um, the book, God Made All of Me. Also, Justin Holcomb and his wife, Lindsay, was one, you know, the authors for that book. Um, and yeah, we'll just, we'll keep these, like, a, we'll have a reading list on there and we'll do some episodes with just other helpful materials that we've gone through. 
And you can connect with us on Instagram at talking about the no-nos. You can email us at talking about the no-nos at gmail.com. And we end epi- every episode telling people to find your safe people to talk about the no-nos with.